I think some of the most critical skills are learning to prioritize because there's always a million different things you can do and you need to be able to kind of look at them across the board and determine what's most important to focus on, what's best for the team, what's best for the product. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. Hi, everyone. We're so thrilled to introduce our next guest to our listeners today. Mikey Novorita is currently the Senior Product Manager at Expedia Group, and he and his team focus on exploring performance marketing ideas. While he's a seasoned product manager, he also has worked as a drilling engineer for oil and gas, a researcher, and also a data engineer and developer. We're so excited to learn about your unique growth story. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm excited to chat with you all today and share a bit of my story. Amazing. Let's start with what you're doing today. Tell us a bit about yourself and the work that you're doing at Expedia. Sure. So I uh, just moved to Seattle about six months ago to start on this team at Expedia. Absolutely loving it here. You can see maybe by my background, it's where I'm at today. My team is basically like an incubator for performance marketing ideas at Expedia, where we look at new partners, products, and just off-platform ideas to try to drive bookings or app installs. It's really pretty fun because... There's not much as far as bounds of what we can explore as long as it's achieving those goals. So we have a lot of free reign and capability to do what we think could be interesting. It's very fun. Wow, that's really cool. How did this team came to be? I know that probably happened before you joined, but you probably know the story. I don't know if that many companies have that sort of a team. Do you know the history of and, and kind of how the company is thinking about this team? Yeah, I think it started about a year ago from around this time my boss and our VP over the marketing group were just ideating around, we need to start a team who can solely focus on new ideas and explore new things. Because there's so many large teams focusing on the usual SEM, SEO, Facebook, and you know, the really large mature channels. And they wanted to create a team basically that could focus on new things and had full bandwidth to do that, not just side projects that get a little bit tension here and there, but could really dedicate all their efforts to that. So I started in March as product manager, and we have our, our marketing expert on our team. And then we also just hired a data scientist to help bring us some analytics power. So at this point, we're fully squatted up between products, marketing, and, and data analytics. And we're uh, really getting rolling here with a bunch of different projects and channels that we're, we're sparking up kind of new to the company. And how do you like come up with these ideas? And then how do you decide what to actually work on, right? That's probably many things you could be working on. How do you decide to prioritize? So basically both were idea generation and prioritization. <laughs> How does that happen? Sure, yeah. For idea generation, it's been kind of easy-ish for this year because we took all the low-hanging fruit of basically social networks and social platforms that we weren't already on. So we started hitting all those, lining up tests and getting campaigns going there to see what works and what doesn't. Now... Beyond that, that's kind of where for the next year, we're branching out a bit more and exploring more of, okay, we hit the easy pieces, what else is next? And we're 
basically starting an outreach to reach out to all the other marketing teams and say, hey, what ideas do you have? What ideas do you have within your teams? Let's explore them together. Let's see what might be valuable to explore. So starting kind of with an internal outreach and, and seeing what's out there. And I mean, really just brainstorming sessions too within our team. Like, hey, maybe we can get some more business if we explore this area. And kind of doing some internal research to see, has anything been done there? What projects have happened in this space? And going from there to try to come up with an idea to get business from a, a new space that we haven't explored yet. And then your second question, that is a balance of size of the opportunity, both from a audience perspective and a growth perspective, like how, how quickly are the platforms growing? And then also kind of add like travel ad fit, like does it make sense to sell travel products within this platform more than another? And then the ad cost as well, of course, comes in. So basically, how big is the platform? How quickly is it growing? Is it something sensible for us? Like do the economics make sense, at least from what model we can generate based on initial data they give us and and some internal data we have based on other platforms, trying to draw some proxies there. And then can do we think the messaging is right? Like, does it make sense to sell someone a flight or a hotel on this new ad platform we're looking at? Trying to frame things up as much as we can with data we have to start. And if it seems like numbers make sense, it looks interesting. We can never know for sure. We start up a small sale test and see how it looks. If it looks good, we keep expanding, keep growing and go from there. Very cool. I like it. Any big projects that you think have done really well or you're very excited about that you are able to share with us? Uh, I don't know how much I can share around like specific platforms or products that or projects that are really like taking off. But being as a new team, we're still kind of in the phases of maturing through our test cycles and finding what the winners are. So I'd say we haven't hit like end life cycle for any of our product projects yet and, and really scaled them to hand off to an always on team. But like I said, team is new, still working through many ideas, juggling a whole bunch of things at once. So you've joined Expedia from a very different sector. Tell us about that transition. What prompted you to make that transition? And were there any big lessons for others who are looking to make big industry changes? Sure. I kind of steered my career towards product very intentionally with the hope of changing industries. I wanted to build a skill set that could apply across many different places. And I found product to be interesting because you get to wear many different hats. Some days you're playing in data, some days you may be writing some code, other days you're working with users or presenting to leadership to get in buy-in to execute on a project or something. So it's always something different. And the reason I wanted to make the change to Expedia and kind of more the tech side of things is I kind of saw it as a fast-paced industry that's taking on latest trends using data, software technology to try new things and experiment. And that's what excited me a lot about this team and this role specifically is that it was exactly that. It's let's try new things. Let's think of ideas of things people aren't doing yet and see if we can make them work. My roles previously, you know, they were also doing new things and building data analytics products for oil and gas. We were kind of uh, building tools and capabilities that weren't really widely on the market. So it was, it was in a similar space, but I was ready for a change. I had been building and supporting those type of products for a while and really wanted something new and the switch from data analytics products to a marketing team 
doing performance site marketing ideas is a huge change. And I have really enjoyed the challenge. I think there's a lot of analogies between the two, though. I mean, I still work very closely with data, always try to understand why is something happening through the data trail and and signals we have and measurement, which relates similarly to the analytics products. And then from a product perspective of here's our goal, how do we break that down into tasks and prioritize them and execute on that? So I think there's a lot of relatable experience between product and data between marketing and what I was doing previously. My advice to someone who also wants to make a switch is figure out how the work you're doing in your current industry or projects can apply elsewhere. Don't just talk about that specific model that you're doing for a certain project, which relates to exactly what you're doing at the time, but how can that skill set of how you built that model or how you connected with people and worked with others to come to this idea, how can you use those skills to relate to something new? And I think especially in product, those skills do relate across many different industries and disciplines. It's not a niche place. Cool. I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing. How about any? So you've been, how did you, what made you decide to go into product? What was the journey there? And any favorite projects you've kind of had along the way that you've like been a product manager for? Sure. I'd say my initial drop into product was not 100% by choice. I was on the team at my job at Apache at the time where we were building a drilling data analytics platform for, for the rigs. And I was that's when I was kind of doing data engineering software development work, supporting a lot of our data flows in the back end, building data quality pieces to, to our platform. And basically our team lead, our product owner at the time left. So my boss came and said, all right, you're in charge now. Here you go. And it was a big switch from writing Python scripts, being in the back end, playing with all sorts of data, trying to solve these very technical challenges to working with the different technical teams we had spread across the world. We had a development team, developer in-house, multiple engineers in-house to kind of bounce ideas around, think of features and whatnot. Then we had a, a platform team in Brazil and we had a technology team like our Basically, they built the machine learning models behind our platform out of Austin. So people in different places with different objectives and different drivers for what they're working on. And yeah, it was quite a challenge to from very narrow focus on, on technical stuff to working with many different teams, understanding how to give them a focus for the work they're doing and make sure what we're all working on is pushing towards the goals of our management and leaders of the program as a whole. So it was a shift, but I think that was the best way to learn is here you go, get take lead and let's see what you can do. And so although a challenging process, I really enjoyed it. And that's where I learned throughout that process of, okay, I need to work with many people. Is I still get to talk about the technical data bits and software bits and work with them, but at a broader scale and kind of see more pieces moving at once not just focus kind of narrowly. And I enjoyed that. I'm kind of a people person myself. I like to work with people. So I got that back by moving into the product role as opposed to just being in the software and day-to-day-to-day. So I enjoyed that piece of it. And then from there, continued on with product after that. Our, our platform basically was purchased by another oil and gas service company, which was my next role. 
at NOV, where essentially NOV partnered with Apache to say, okay, we're going to take this data analytics platform you built and build it for the entire oil and gas industry. So I joined the team there supporting that project and taking what Apache had built for their internal tool and, and building it in a more scalable way to use for different customers across the world. Interesting. That's very cool. So I, I like the story of how you become a product manager. And you've mentioned, you know, working with people and the challenges of it. What do you think? I think many of our listeners sometimes wonder, how do I get into growth? How can I become a product manager? What do you think are some characteristics for a good product manager, especially one focused on growth like you are today? Okay. I think some of the most critical skills are learning to prioritize because there's always a million different things you can do and you need to be able to kind of look at them across the board, determine what's most important to focus on, what's best for the team, what's best for the product to put your team and in your efforts on. Other skills, I think, are being able to influence teams who don't necessarily report to you or you have a direct influence from, but to help kind of share a story of why you think this is the most important thing to work on and get their buy-in there. Sometimes that can be really challenging because people might have other priorities and things they're focused on that aren't necessarily what yours are. So getting them on board and kind of storytelling and using data to help them get on board with what you're thinking is a good set of skills to have. What else? I think also just understanding why and asking a lot of questions and the history of things is really important, probably in, in any role, but, but also in product, especially when you might get tossed on something that you didn't start from the beginning and you're trying to take forward understanding everybody else's input and, and thinking around it so you can help strategize around that. You definitely want to know what the rest of the teams and stakeholders are thinking as you're working on something. I think that's really good advice. Anything you're, you know, as you think about the future, the next year, any exciting things, trends in the industry that you've, and channels that you're looking to explore, anything kind of exciting you in the industry? I think one big change, at least in ads, that, that we're kind of adapting to is user-generated content and like TikTok and how to adapt to that format and be successful in that format across all of our existing channels. Although that's not really a new channel, it's a totally new way of kind of making ads, or newer way of making ads and building content that's less polished and it's just different. Yeah. So that's kind of something we're adapting to, learning how to do, kind of cycling through with our creative teams to figure out what the best strategy is there and how can we win at this new strategy. And it's been interesting, kind of a fun thing. Are you making some of the content yourself? Or I think some of the things as I was talking to others, there's this like trend where you know you work with influencers, you test, you figure out what works best, and then you promote it yourself. How are you thinking about that? So basically like using influencers to, to create, generate their content or bringing people in-house to generate the content for you. I know a lot of companies are like really thinking through this. I'm kind of curious how, what's the approach that you guys are going after? We're kind of exploring all of the above, really. We're building stuff in-house. We're working with creators on some brands. It's kind of spread throughout. And with trying these different strategies across our different campaigns, we're kind of taking learnings from all of them and using that to inform our path forward. I'd say we're very much still in the learning experimentation phase. We don't have like a clear, this is the answer. This is the way to go yet. 
but we're still working through it. Yeah. I've done a voiceover myself on one of them. That was kind of fun. Very cool. <laughs> the ad did not succeed. <laughs> did not get the same volume and performance as some of the others, but no. it was fun to sit there and turn on my voice actor mode and, and see what I could do. I love it. Very cool. How about the product? You know, I think I asked this question, I think on almost every podcast, a product that you thought was going to work and you didn't. And what did you learn from that? And, you know, what do you think others can learn from that? I think we sometimes learn more from our mistakes than our success. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Hmm. I don't have a necessarily specific product, but being kind of new to marketing and learning I had over the past couple of months was the importance of differentiating between attribution and incrementality measurement, that something can look really great from an attribution perspective because you're tagging all these people who are making purchases, bookings, installs, and you're like, wow, this channel is amazing. It's really a champion for us. And then you go to an incrementality test and the results come up flat and you're like, huh, how do we, is this right? Or is this what's really happening? Are we actually not driving anything new? So I spend a lot of time kind of digging into how do you measure incrementality? How do you, because that's ultimately what our goal is, is not to make attribution numbers look good and just tag people who are already going to book. It's, it's to look at new channels who are going to bring people who wouldn't have made that booking in to, to really drive something new and something incremental to the channels that we already have. And it becomes increasingly challenging to accurately measure incrementality with the privacy landscape now especially with iOS, you know, you can't track people at a device level like you used to and, and really understand who's net new. So we rely a lot now on, on kind of our partners to help us in running those incrementality experiments and have to have a lot of trust in the data that they have and the methodologies they use to determine if our campaigns are really incremental or not. So that learning from some of our earlier tests basically has helped inform the direction of our future tests and ideas is is we really want to make sure what we're doing is incremental. If the attribution we kind of use as a starting point and, and to make tweaks in our campaigns as we get up and running, and then once it looks good from attribution perspective, that's when we're like, okay, here's the real test. Let's see if it's incremental. We don't really put as much stock in the attribution from the get-go saying, yeah, this is great. This I think we'll probably scale this up. It's kind of our initial test before really running those incrementality studies. Well, that's such a good one. And I think so many times it's kind of getting missed. It's even making me think about the way I do measurement of branch on our marketing team. Because it's one that it's like very, you know, everyone always wants to get credit. And like, especially if you don't look at things like the full funnel or everything together, everyone says, oh, I got the attribution and I got the attribution. And it's just very, it's really, really good advice. For I think all teams, B2C, B2B, it doesn't matter. It's I love that one. Yeah. Thank you for bringing it up. Yeah. And I mean, marketing is still kind of all new and fresh to me, only having been in it about six months at this point. But what's from your perspective, is that something you're kind of balancing too? Is attribution, incrementality, how much stock do you put in one versus the other? And how do you use them to make Yeah. I think, you know, we're obviously we're a B2B business. So it's sometimes hard to understand what actually like drove someone to learn about branch or buy. And we see that people reach out to our sales team reaches out to people and then they look at marketing things. And it's like, 
we actually have built a fairly intense model in-house that looks at every touch from a person and gives it a number of points. And then we, when an opportunity gets created, we break down that between all the people that were touched and all the points and all the activities. Oh, wow. So we actually have a very good, but it doesn't necessarily, in some cases, it's very hard to understand like what actually drove the person, right? Is it the SDR reaching out to the person? Is it them reading a blog post? Right now, we just assume like we say, hey, we kind of have a hunch, so we'd give more points to things that we make more sense. But I think that what I want to do is actually build an incrementality test where I look at one versus lost and are things that were more were within more of it on the one side, and then give the and then change the point system instead of minutes spent to actually what we know makes the most sense. So I think it's like, our model is already fairly complicated the way we do attribution, but I'm always thinking even next level up. And then I think we also help obviously customers do this, right? It's like, you were talking a lot about influencers earlier. And I think our data sometimes help people understand. We have a cohort analysis you can do in our dashboard. So it's like, based on different cohorts, depending on where they came from, or did they come from web or app, like channel, platform, et cetera, are they more likely to buy and are they more likely to do the thing that you're interested in? So I think it's like uh, always on my mind, both from what branch offers and the way I do for branch. It's just like a very interesting problem. And it's harder with iOS 14, I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's become a lot harder to do attribution. So actually people, I think, are investing a lot more in incrementality. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like with a lot of people we work with, these incrementality solutions are still in the works, we're still figuring out, is this the best way to do the testing to try to run an incrementality test? So we're, we're all kind of working through it together between us running the ads, the people selling us the ads. How do we know <laughs> yeah. what makes the biggest impact on our key results? Yeah, it's. I think we've all gotten better as marketers towards this, but I don't think it's like one ultimate solution. I think there's a lot of room in the space for platforms. And I think we as a product company, we're trying to move into that space more. And I know a lot of other people in the industry are. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I was just going to say, I think you can't look at one thing as exactly the right answer. You've got to use it all. Yeah, exactly. Attribution is one piece of it. Engagement is, of course, another. And then incrementality. And use all three of those key sources of data to make a decision of what's working best. And it's always changing, not just from your data, but from the world, the economy, how people are consuming the content, how Apple changes their privacy. Is Google going to come up next and we have to adapt there? It's We've got to adapt quickly and always try to think of what the best way to, to find an answer is. Agreed. Thankfully, Google usually gives more time than lead time than Apple if we have to adapt. So... But uh, I think there will be changes on that side as well. So shifting gears a bit, we've talked about work, we've talked about your professional life, but I know you're a avid traveler. You've been, you've traveled nearly all of the United States. Tell us a bit about that, what drives that, and uh, maybe some of your favorite places you visited and maybe places you won't go to again. Sure. Yeah. Places I won't go to again. <laughs> I think it just comes from growing up and always my parents would always take us to a new forest reserve, a new nature place. We'd go on road trips and just always seeing what's out there, what's new, seeing a new place, experiencing a new landscape. That's kind of where it started. And then when I got older and the ability to travel on my own, 
I wanted to see new places and things and meet different people across the country, across the world. Again, I did that, the motorcycle trip across the country right after I graduated college. I love doing it on the motorcycle because I feel like you're so much more a part of your environment. You smell the air, you feel the humidity, you touch the ground, you feel the cold or the wind and the rain, and you're really a part of where you are more so than in a car. Honestly, that's part of the reason I wanted to move to Seattle as part of that trip. I, I found the Pacific Northwest and was like, wow, this is the most one of the most beautiful places I've ever been, especially in the U.S. And it's a great economy in Seattle. You can get a good job here. So it kind of checked the boxes for me of beautiful nature, mountains, and be able to get a job that does well for me and, and my family as well. And so the rain is okay. Well, I've only been here for six months, so I haven't experienced the winter. Oh, you experienced the summer. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay, cool. We're talking the spring. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm optimistic. I'm ready to do some skiing and snowboarding. So we'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm not too worried about the winter. But places that aren't my favorite to travel, I'd say I grew up in the Midwest in Chicago, and I love being near mountains. So flat places and rolling hills just don't really excite me as much. I'd also say West Texas is definitely not one of my favorite places. Kind of uh, barren out there. It's a hardworking place where people really dedicate a lot of their lives to their jobs. And we all need them to help produce the resources they do there. But I wouldn't say it's a favorite place to vacation uh, by any means. <laughs> That's fair. I appreciate that. Some of my favorite places, though, as I mentioned, Pacific Northwest, super happy to be here. But internationally, I did a trip to Croatia in 2021. Absolutely gorgeous mountains running up to crystal blue waters and curvy roads running along the whole country. Such an amazing, welcoming culture there with great food and just a beautiful country. And then I also really love Italy because I love food and pasta and wine. And uh, it's kind of the best place for it. Cool. Awesome. Well, it's great getting to know you better. We usually end with a lightning round. I'm going to switch one of the questions around. Let's do it. Let's start with the first one. If you had to delete all the apps on your phone and you could only keep one, what would you keep? Google Maps being that kind of... Makes sense. Yeah, Makes sense. Duty and Explorer, that, that is by far my favorite app. And it's amazing the amount of capabilities that have come into it over the years, like that there's a messaging platform now too to connect with different restaurants and whatnot. Yeah. But I think that Google Maps hits my two, some of my favorite things, being able to explore and find my way to somewhere new, find what's interesting across the world, looking at a map. I mean, that's how I choose my adventures. Half the time on a weekend, I'm going to do a motorcycle trip. Like, oh, that looks, I haven't been there. Let's go see what's in that area. Go for a ride. And then finding food is where you've got reviews and people posting about what they thought was interesting and fun for sites and restaurants. So I think that's my favorite tool and app use all the time. Cool. No, I totally get it. That's awesome. The next question is, I heard you really like potatoes. I also really like potatoes. Let's say I built an app that allows you, that shows you all the different ways to eat a potato. Uh -huh. What would be your favorite way in the app that would be on top of your, you know, like your most favorite? I think my favorite way, which I pretty recently discovered, comes from Kenji Alt Lopez, I think is his name, which is basically you cook them twice, which I've also recently learned is the way that most the best potatoes are always kind of cooked twice is you, uh, you basically boil them part way. So they're like just slightly firm when you push a fork to, 
and then pull them out, let them kind of steam for a bit, and then toss them lightly in some sort of fat, be it olive oil, bacon fat, duck fat, to kind of get a mushy texture on the outside. And then either throw them in the oven or air fryer, and that mushy texture turns really crispy. So you get like a soft inner mashed potato sort of feel and a crunchy like french fry outside. That's my current favorite method I've discovered from Kenji and his fan base and actually made those yesterday. They were awesome. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, um, I've seen a version of that where they're also smashed. And then so everything you said, but in the middle, you smash them, you put garlic and then you put them in the oven. Yeah, you're right. The best potatoes are double. Wow. I'm just getting really hungry hearing you. <laughs> that was my favorite method prior to this one, actually. Take the small ones, smash them a little, fry them. Also good. But after boiling, it yes. has to be after boiling. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then lastly, what's an unlikely app on your phone that would surprise us? Yeah. And okay, that uh, you wouldn't expect to have on my phone. Hmm. And it had like something that I would use. I don't not really sure. What's you can look at your phone if you yeah. want. Yeah. What's something like that maybe uh, that you wouldn't expect me to have or that maybe a lot of other people don't use? Other people, I don't. That know. other people don't use. Well, I think Google Keep is probably pretty common for note keeping and whatnot. I didn't know about Google Keep, so you can definitely use that one. I didn't actually. Oh sure, that's one of my favorite apps for just organizing and keeping notes in my life. You basically, it's kind of like a notes app, but you can create lists and it's shared across devices. So it really makes it easy to have it between your phone, on your web. You can share with other people to make notes together, make grocery lists together, keep track of a packing list for a trip or just sharing ideas. It's a really lightweight, simple way to make notes, share them with other people and try to keep yourself organized. It's probably my favorite personal organization tool. Cool. Awesome. Exciting. Well, this was awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time and sharing so many good stories with us today and also kind of your career and how you got to where you are today. And it was really wonderful having you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun talking. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing.